Welcome to the inaugural episode of Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop. I'm your host, Lisa Chen, and in this episode, we will hear from some amazing artists and creators who share a passion, making role-playing games more accessible to all. Later on, we'll chat with Rose Whitaker, a former fashion designer using aesthetics to make Dungeons & Dragons more approachable. Then, we'll talk with Marissa Tremaine, a knitter who brings to life the monster manual, stitching together classic creatures of D&D lore, but who also dungeon masters more games than there are days in the week. Finally, we'll hear from one of Marissa's players, TK Johnson, who rediscovered themselves and the game after it was ripped from them by the Satanic Panic Resurgence in Kentucky of the 1990s. But first, we have the uber-talented Danny Hartel, who shares her passion and process for fashion and cosplay on the Dungeons & Dragons Twitch channel every Monday at noon Pacific on her show, Craft Hacks. You might also recognize her work as the official costumer for Acquisitions Incorporated C-Team, or from her actual play appearances in shows such as Dice Camera Action and Misclicks. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So to start us off, Danny, tell me a little bit about, was it a love for gaming that came first or costuming and crafts? Man, it's like, it's such a weird story. So <laughs> like I, I was an illustrator for a while and I had always been like an artist. Like I was just the kid that draws, you know, and like I won the art awards in middle school and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I wanted to be like a veterinarian or something or like a neurosurgeon. I had all these different plans for myself, but like I didn't have the grades. So I I just went to art school instead. (laughs) And I was like, I'll be an illustrator. And I I seriously had no clue where I was even going to use that skill. And, you know, as a high schooler, you're like, "Ah, I'll just do that college thing like everybody's telling me to do. So you go. And I realized I wasn't learning the things that people use to be in that career today. And so I dropped out and I tried a new college and then I dropped out of that one because they had the same problem. And then so I like realized I just needed to figure out this freelance thing and like just start applying to companies. And I started going down the route of like finding subject matter that interested me. And that ended up being like, oh, well, Lord of the Rings is cool. And then, like, I found Magic the Gathering was a thing. And then I met my husband, who uh, is also an illustrator. He paints in oils for Magic the Gathering and D&D. And then going to work with him, he gets called into the office every once in a while to do, like, in-house projects. And that's how I met the team there. And they I had also dabbled in costuming because I was getting really bored with drawing at that point. And this is years and years and years. Like, I'm skipping ahead of a lot of stuff here. But I... I, I always liked games, but I just, I wasn't raised in an environment where we really did much besides the occasional video game. But then, like, once I met the team at D&D and, like, I played with them, and I'd played D&D games before in the past, but they were honestly awful. How like, so? like, just the worst DMs. It's kind of made a new passion for me, having played awful D&D games and then getting to play with the people at D&D and, like, see you know, what's intended for the experience mm. there <laughs> and like realizing like how much depth you can get into your character and like role play can be so fun. And especially when you're not even being anything like yourself. And it really built a passion inside of me to bring this hobby to more people because I misunderstood it for years. And I know so many other people are currently like they're like, oh, no, d and lame. Like, you sit around and you pretend you're an orc or something. And, like, 
that can be all it is. But if you have the right people and you're you're playing with the intent of having fun, it just becomes so freaking cool. And so, like, I wanted to marry that new passion I had for the game with the hobbies I'd built, and then they let me build stuff for them. <laughs> and that ended up being really cool. And now I have craft tags, and now I basically get to build whatever I want on the D&D Twitch channel, which is, it's just, it's been a really weird set of events, but it's turned into this cool job. That is like so amazing. Do you remember the moment that it clicked for you and you were like, oh, I get D&D? Yeah, I actually do. I was playing with Richard Witters. He's the art director for D&D and he's amazing. He's also an incredible DM. Like he, he's, he's, he's a pretty quiet guy in person and he, you know, he's a super cheerful, great guy. But then, like, once he starts acting like a character, like, he loses himself and he commits. And seeing him be that way, it was, like, freeing for him. And I could see him having more fun than we normally just had, like, going to lunch and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, I actually get to learn more about my friends by seeing them not be themselves. And, like, I had the same happened with, like, a, a friend I'd known for a while. He was in the game, too. And, like, he he pulled out this cowboy accent I'd never heard before. And it was flawless. And I was like, what? Who are you people? And I loved them, like, even more. And I was like, this is it. This is the moment. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I love this. <laughs> there really is, like, this way that D&D, like, you're not being yourself. Although I do feel like some people, like, insert a little bit of themselves into their characters. Yeah, but you yeah. get to know people on a totally different level. For sure. Like, and especially if if they've built a character that has like an element of their real personality and they just get to focus on that one part of themselves and amplify it and see where it goes. Like that can be so fun, especially in a long campaign where character development starts becoming a thing. And, you know, you, you, you it almost becomes therapy in, in some sessions where you're like, I need to just be this for a minute. Let me just be this person real quick. And then I'll go back to being my normal self later. Yeah. But like, it's, it's, it's healthy. It feels healthy for some reason. Yeah, do you, um, so you've played a lot more D&D now. Do you find that, is there something that all of your characters have in common or do they reflect different elements of yourself? I, I actually, when I, when I build a new character, I like to kind of figure out what, what I need in that part of my life. One of my first characters in that game actually that I played with Richard and uh, a few of our other friends, I created Scrummy, which is the main character that I'm working on on Craft Tags right now. And I'm building her whole costume. And she <laughs> she's like everything I needed in that time in my life. And it's cool to take that character and kind of almost build it as like a marker of like, remember where I was at mentally during that point? Like I get to bring her with me now and like develop her into my future with me and it's it's super I don't know like you get really attached to these because you're almost like getting to know yourself better with these characters but so like Scrummy was my main one and she's a a, a gnome from the Underdark who lives with Myconids and she's very she, she doesn't really embrace gender I mean she just doesn't have many feelings that I have in life and like I really needed to to be able to explore what my mind could be like if I wasn't hold, held back by all these like 
expectations and like scrummy is this thing that doesn't care and scrummy will say anything and scrummy will like <laughs> it, it's just it's really cool but like then I have this other character Wiley that I play on the misclicks she was just like a, a need for some insane positivity <laughs> I, I I like in that part of my life I really I really felt like what I wanted was really healthy clear communication with everybody always and I was like okay that's what Wiley is gonna be to the point where it's inconvenient <laughs> and annoying and it'll be really funny too and she's also kind of like Pinkie Pie from My Little Pony so she's just like obnoxious but that's what I needed and like I, I really I, I find that I try to build a character out of what I what I want to work on in myself so uh I get really attached attached to them and it's it's fun it's it's cool I mean I think that's a sentiment that a lot of people can relate to whether they're doing so consciously um like it sounds like you were doing or subconsciously mm-hmm um, so you're making sure. Scrummy's costume on craft tags now. Uh, can you tell me a little yeah. bit about how that wonderful thing came to life? <laughs> well, uh, craft tag season one was a little bit of a, a experiment and I really needed to feel out what kind of show I could put together on my own. Like I don't have an editor or producer or any help at all. And I really needed to figure out where my limits were, what I had time for, uh, mentally what what I could accomplish um, without, you know, going insane. <laughs> and the first season was, was cool because I got to feel all that out. But the second season, I was like, I really want to start working on uh, design and fashion as a focus in with this thing that kind of started as cosplay, but I've really moved away from the cosplay part of it. And I've started getting more into how do you visualize a character from the ground up and, um, you know, budgeting and supplies and tools and, and uh, trying to make it an entertainment weekly sort of uh, package uh, for other people to enjoy. And that's been uh, a big, th a big uh, learning experience for me. But it's it's been really cool because then I get to go back and take this uh, character I, I always I was talking uh, with the people in the office about it, my plans for craft tags because they asked me to bring it back and instead of just hosting me they actually bought the show from me and uh, I, I actually get paid a little bit of money to do it now which is super cool but I was I wanted to keep them ca like uh, in the loop and be like well here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna try to build this thing and it's gonna be this long process where people really get to know one character and how to take elements from the character and make them real and different ways to think about it and how do you do it on a budget and how do you time manage all of it and the, the stuff that I still need to learn sometimes. So uh, it, it's been cool. I just got to build a project that helped me grow, which was awesome. And the people in the office are awesome too. They're just like, yeah, this sounds great. Do it. <laughs> so it was, it was really it was a dream come true, basically. I unfortunately missed the first season, but I am watching the second season, mostly live. It's really cool watching your process. You definitely give off the impression that you know your stuff so much. Uh, it's just watching you craft is really fun and soothing. I'm glad. I really, I really just like wanted it to be chill. And I like, but also for myself, I was like, I can't, I can't be like on 100% like, 
like hyper crazy, like, like I, maybe this is my own like mental construction, but I feel like a lot of YouTubers and stuff are always like, hi, we're here to this and that. And I was like, oh, I can't do that, man, especially not for like two hours and focusing on something. So I was like, I'm just going to make this what I need. I'm going to put on some soothing noises. Maybe other people will like it too. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I absolutely get that impression as well. Like a lot of YouTubers, a lot of streamers are like very, very, very frenetic, high energy, which on one hand, I understand the appeal of that, but you're doing something really different and it's still really entertaining. Really? Oh, I'm, I'm glad. It's, it's like, a, I mean, that's kind of what I wanted was I, I wanted it to feel like we're all just buddies crafting together and hanging out and being goofy. I guess. Felting <laughs> so, slubs. Yeah, felting slubs. <laughs> I'm so glad everybody loves all the weird stuff I do, too. Like I'm going to have to I, bleep this podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> when they had that auto mod on the chat the other day, it was like, like, it was just a wall of notifications for me to like, are you sure you want to allow this phrase? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's... It's just a slub, jeez. <laughs> what was what was it the other day? I was I was laughing so hard. The the phrases ju- just kept getting worse. Like for the people that don't know, a slub is a thing. It's a felting term. It's a kind of like nubbin made out of wool that they don't really know what else to call. I guess, but we were using them to make cool textures and. The you know then we had to get put soap in them so they ended up being soapy slubs <laughs> like, like just getting getting real <laughs> vibrating slubs I think vibrating slubs <laughs> yeah vibrating soapy slubs was where it ended oh and I was gosh. just like dear God I'm so sorry D and I hope I hope this is part of your brand uh, goals because it's it's here Hashtag now brand goals <laughs> Hashtag brand goals <laughs> But yeah, it's been it's been fun. I'm really glad, and I love seeing the chat on the side. Like it's because it's kind of hard from my perspective. I'm I'm just like talking to myself in a room with the door closed, like making stuff, and then there's like a wall of of text on the side telling me that people are liking it, and I'm like, I, I can be a very anxious person, so I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna trust you, little words on the side. <laughs> telling me it's funny yeah I was gonna ask that actually whether streaming is something that comes naturally to you or whether no. there is some anxiety no okay there's so much anxiety <laughs> it was like like I'll be graphic here but we had we had some nervous poops there for the first like <laughs> whole season I was just like okay okay it's an hour till stream time I'm gonna go to the bathroom again but oh man gotta you know like like I like I've heard other people that get on stage a lot just call it like like I mean it's like it's just a form of stage fright it's you know Mm -hmm. but it still happens to me even though I'm like alone in my room (laughs) and like I have to close the door because it's weird for me to have my husband like in the rest of the house and I'm just like talking to nobody in my room (laughs) and that feels weird (laughs) but I'm just like okay babe I'm gonna close the door now and I'll see you in two hours I think (laughs) like it's 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 super awkward I think I think in the future honestly I might transition to uh pre-recorded video and editing because that's a little bit more relaxing for me and less high demand and I can get a lot more done on the side if I can just pick at a video and then upload it when I'm ready but we'll see it is getting easier the streaming is it was not my favorite in the beginning is season two less 
anxious for you? I mean, it doesn't come across, you don't come across as anxious at all. That's good. <laughs> I remember, uh, I think luckily several episodes from the beginning of the first season are lost because I was like shaky and nervous and Aww. like my voice was all over the place. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's what you got to do. But uh, no, like, I, and I've been working on that too, just trying to lower my own expectations for it so that I can chill. Cause I know that the more chill I honestly am, the more chill my audience can be with me and, you know, we can just calm the fuck down. You yeah. know? <laughs> it's, it's just fun. That's all it needs to be. So where do you find your inspiration for each episode? Do you have everything sort of planned out or do you figure it out week to week? It's very played by ear. I've got a lot of other things going on in my life. So this, it's kind of how I, I structured the season too, was just to fit in with my life more. And um, instead of trying to prep several weeks in advance, I'll work on the costume during the week. And then maybe I didn't get anything done all week because I had a lot of other things going on and that's okay. I'll just pick it up where I'm at on Monday at noon and be like, okay, um, this will be interesting for you guys to see. I'm going to start just playing with this part or today we're just going to test. We're going to, I need to do some tests before I can even start deciding what this is going to look like. So that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> and like, um, and I've got, I've got a couple things planned here and there. Like I know I want to do a makeup episode. I know I want to do a sewing episode where I make the pants all in one go. And like, there's some other things that I'm kind of like milestones I want to hit, but I definitely, I just want it to be like as natural as possible. So I'm trying not to plan too much. Uh, you mentioned that you have a lot going on and I know you do a number of other things yeah. in this fabulous hobby of ours. Uh, what are other things that you do? Well, I'm, um, we're currently on break right now, but I think another season of Miss Clicks is coming. Uh, don't quote me on that quite yet, but uh, last I heard it was in the works and we're excited to bring it back because our DM Curtis Weeb is amazing. He's so cool. And he always has cliffhangers for us. And I'm always just like, oh, it's just another D&D game. I'll just sit down and play. But then after we're done, I'm always like, no more. I want more. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's always fun. I like having that in my life. Um, other than that, uh, I've got stuff in the works for Acquisitions Intoxica Intoxicated. Hey, you all should listen to Acquisitions Intoxicated because it's one of the coolest shows on the Penny Arcade channel. <laughs> but what I meant to say was Acquisitions Incorporated. <laughs> uh, I think we're, we're going to be redoing a couple of the costumes from, from the main game instead of just the C-Team um, later this year. So I think I might be working on Jim Dark Magic and Omen Drawn. And that's very exciting because they're letting me have a lot of freedom with that and I get to talk to them about like the intricacies of their backstories and, and how to make those things visible in the costume and all my favorite stuff. So I can't wait. I feel like I'm dressing celebrities, even though these people are fake. <laughs> They're our celebrities. <laughs> They're our celebrities. That's true. That's all. That's, that's all a celebrity is, right? It's just a figment of our imagination. <laughs> It's getting really philosophical in here, isn't it? Oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, I'm also moving. That's going to be a Oh my gosh, thing. all of that and moving your life. 
going to be cool. And we're moving over closer to Seattle. So I've got a bunch of other career plans I don't want to spoil yet. But uh, being closer to the city will definitely help with that. In all of these different things that you do, a lot of them are like very public. You stream a lot of what you do. So what has your experience been as a woman going through this hobby and doing it in such a visual uh, way? Wow. I mean, because usually when, when a woman gets asked that question, they have a lot of like hardships to share. Um, I know a lot of women like just being online or being visible, it can be very hard. In, in for a lot of reasons, but uh, I honestly, from the start, I've been very adamant about building my audience to be specifically and intentionally healthy for me, and it's worked. Like, I don't know how I pulled it off, but I don't get people bothering me. I don't get haters. I don't get the sexual harassment. I don't, I mean, like, maybe once a year, I'll get some guy from the other side of the world telling me like, I'm pretty, show me your tits or something, you know, like, but it's like, lol, whatever. Okay. <laughs> but like the, I've been very like careful about, this is such an interesting question because I think about this all the time. Like, what do I put out to the world? And what, like, if I saw that, what would I say about it? And not just me, but like, older people, younger people, other people from different cultures, uh, people of the opposite sex, all that. So I'm very careful about how I present myself, the things I focus on, the things I say. Um, and it, it's been hard because sometimes I can't be myself. And like, obviously, I have a, a lot of emotions. And, um, <laughs> you know, we all struggle with how much or how little to put online. But um, I'm, I'm, I've, I focus very hard on making sure I have an idea for what my brand is. And I'm a brand. I always think of myself as a brand because my personal life has to be completely separate. I mean, not completely, completely, but like there's a balance there, you know, and like, what am I wearing on screen today? What does that suggest to people? And picking out a shirt just to, you know, like, are my boobs visible? Is it is it interesting? Is it gothy? Is it light and flowy? Do I look cute? Like, I'm, I'm a very visual person and almost, almost like a costume. I pick out what I wear and how I do my hair and how I do my makeup. And, like, I try to strike a balance that encourages people to be honest with me, but also positive with me because I, I mean, like I have a lot of negative things to say about a lot of people cause we all do, but uh, I don't, I keep those offline. I make sure I'm never, you know, a part of like political arguments as much as I would love to be. I honestly would love to be, <laughs> But like, you know, I try to make my brand and what I put online and everything I say in my tweets and stuff kind of like a safe haven for other girls like me that they just they just want a place to be honestly themselves. And and that includes being weird. It Sometimes it's girly. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, you know, like like we're all expected to look like this or sound like this or act like this or feel this way. But. I really, I really try to cultivate a culture around everything I make that's honest to what I actually enjoy, and then I just delete everything else. 
and uh, it's been really cool. I have, I've, the coolest part is that I've gotten so many, like, I hate calling them fans because they're just friends. They're, but like, they follow what I do and I sadly don't have time to involve myself in all of their lives, but I do like to like check in on them every once in a while. Like if there's, there's, there's several people that follow my stuff and they're not all girls either. They're, they're everybody, but you know, they, they always come to me and they, they're like, Danny, this is just fun. This is just fun. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I wanted. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> like, cause we all have enough going on and you know, our lives are full of all this other stuff, but I just, it's, it's been really nice, honestly. Uh, and, and like, as a woman, I, I, it's, it's so hard to think of myself as a woman because I've kind of made myself into this thing that's just accessible for everyone, or at least as much as I can be. I, I obviously could probably be doing better, but I think of myself more as just like a, a person mm. for people. <laughs> Danny, the person for people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say it's really fascinating hearing your thought process and knowing how many different like plates you spin uh, <laughs> between all of your many, many projects. And then also all of the very deliberate thought that yeah. is happening behind the scenes that we don't get to see. Obvi- I mean, obviously, I've got a lot of my own issues and I really wish I, I mean, it's hard because I wish I could share some of the deeper, you know, more turbulent issues with the public, like a lot of other people get to, but you know, like I've got my friends and, and I talk to them and I, I try to keep it a little more private when it's like, cause, cause I'm not a good person. Like, like I'm not just like this thing that's always fun and happy, but I, I want to be that for other people. So I kind of have to find other ways to not bury, but displace the the awfulness that is a part of everybody's lives, but also my life. But it, it's nice, though, like, just keeping it private and then everything that's positive, just, like, blasting it out into the world as hard as I can. And people seem to respond, and it's 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 been really cool. It's I mean, it's I can certainly relate with that. We're human beings, um, as far as anybody knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone deals with strife and turbulent issues in their life. So I can definitely relate to mm-hmm. being the sort of person who leans toward keeping all of that side private. So I really a- appreciate mm-hmm. that you share with all of us what you do share. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that anybody <laughs> likes it. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably do it anyway, even if there were only a couple of people, but it seems to be catching on. And I really hope that we can keep building this like awesome community of D and D players and even just role-playing enthusiasts in general, or just people who enjoy escaping the realities of life through fantasy. That, that's important for everybody. And I really think that that's such a, a base idea, like to humanity, like storytelling and bringing more meaning to our lives and discovering purposes for ourselves and escaping the awfulness sometimes through pretend play. I I feel like it's so healthy and it's so enlightening. I just want to bring that to as many people as I can. And like, I really hope D&D goes like way more mainstream and people find like a million more different ways to play it and enjoy it and share it and 
Yeah. That said, uh, as we sort of wind things down, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about um, or any projects coming up that you wanted to make sure people knew about? Um, I do have a massive secret project in the works right now. Most projects are secret. I know, but I can't talk about it yet. And it's it's not even because it's NDA or anything. It's just like, it's so cool. And I want to make sure that it's like, perfect before I start blasting about it but everybody stay tuned it's gonna be really cool you're you're gonna like it I think well that's a good transition because my next question is if they do want to stay tuned and make sure they find out all about this secret project how uh, can people find you they can find me on twitter at Danny Hartel that's d-a-n-i-h-a-r-t-e-l I'm also on Instagram. I have a website. It's all the same thing at Danny Hartel, dannyhartel.com, blah, blah, blah. But uh, then if you're more interested in just the D&D stuff and craft hags, they have their own Instagram and Twitters as well. So try at craft hags and check up on all the cool stuff we're doing. We're making really gross stuff on craft hags every week. So if, if that's your, your, your thing is gross, fun stuff, then come check it out. Gross fun stuff is my thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming to chat on Behold Her. I've really, really enjoyed getting to learn uh, more about you uh, beyond our shared distaste for puns. Yeah. Puns are the Rose Whitaker is a designer and illustrator out of North England and a unique creator in the realm of tabletop gaming accessories. Her shop, R-N-W, sells hand-drawn character sheets with a modern aesthetic, curated dice palettes, colorful leather dice bags, and just so, so many beautiful things. All right, Rose, thank you so much for joining me on Beholder. I'm really excited to talk to you. Hey, it's nice to meet you. So we'll start out... Uh, just tell me a little bit about your D&D origin story. How did you find the game? How I found the game, I think I was probably put off a little longer than most might have been. Because uh, as a kid, I was always really into sort of fantasy, escaping into sort of imaginary worlds and this stuff. I was a big fan of like any Robin Jarvis book, uh, the Harry Potter books, obviously. Um, and I even used to like collect Warhammer when I was a kid. I really liked just painting and assembling the models and stuff. But uh, the kids at school just, they always told me, you know, this is a boys game. What are you doing? You can't play with us. Or the girls would say, yeah, I'm not going to play with you because it's for boys. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to a games workshop, but definitely back in the day, it was just completely full of guys. Um, and older guys as well. So this little girl walking in was <laughs> was just so uh, uh, out of place. People just stared at me and I, I really felt quite unwelcome. And I think that that really put me off getting into anything to do with role-playing communities for quite a while because I just got this vibe like I really wasn't part of it. And I think even things like the that Lord of the Rings sort of fantasy style of graphics uh, even kind of comes into making me feel like uh, it, it just wasn't for me and it, it wasn't something I was so, sort of particularly mm-hmm. welcome in but one day I uh, I met my now fiance Niels um, who goes by RPG tunes on uh, the socials we work together on a lot of stuff and he was really to get me involved in RPGs he was uh, already a, a big fan of uh, lots of different types and he has a very lovely and 
open-minded bunch of friends uh, who he got around to play with us and uh, he made a story that was based on two of my favorite things uh, Jurassic Park and the TV show Lost awesome. um, and he yeah it, oh my god it was so good it, he made this crazy island adventure full of shady government figures and surprise crazy dinosaurs everywhere and the whole thing culminated in something very epic and ridiculous it was just really off the rails and it was perfect and uh, after that I was just like oh right well if this is what it's about with this lovely bunch of people <laughs> then, uh, then I I love it and uh yeah from from there i was hooked really. when was it that you started to play mm, so that will have been probably maybe three years ago now um was when we really started getting into D D. yeah that's that's really cool and i'm glad that he was able to like convince you to give it another shot i did take him a while <laughs> but uh it was it was when like i almost felt a little tricked into it <laughs> just in the sense that like he'd made something where he just he knew that it was all the little buttons the right ones to push to make me really enjoy it but he's an amazing game designer as it is so uh yeah it's no surprise that he made something amazing to be honest <laughs> do you find that even in the course of the last three years has the environment of rpgs changed from your perspective or have you just uh, thrown yourself into different communities mm, so i think probably for the first year or so that we played i didn't really explore any of the communities around D. &D. it was just with our our friends just playing at home. It was only once I started getting into actually making stuff for D&D &D that I started exploring the community a little bit more. My first exposure to the kind of modern community of D&D &D would probably be the D&D &D subreddit, which I think are a fabulous bunch of people. These guys are just so encouraging. And I would say that they're probably responsible for me starting up R&W with all the character sheets that we sell now. Um, it was, uh, there was, there was a time when, uh, I used to work in the fashion industry and, uh, I was let go and spent a year not being able to really do very much after that. Uh, and it was a pretty tough time. One day during this time, uh, I was at a friend's house, uh, where she was DMing and I just doodled a character sheet in my own book. That's, uh, was kind of the beginning of what we made the character sheets online eventually um and it was just something that i was like oh if only it looked like this rather than that little dragon and all the spiky lines everywhere like it, it was just kind of what i'd like want to look like <laughs> if they could when i'd finished it i thought like oh yeah maybe the subreddit would get a bit of a kick out of this like they might enjoy seeing it so i just took a photo and put it up and just like the explosion of like encouragement and requests and suggestions was just immediate and when I was in such a difficult place having all of that encouragement and like real kind of requests that I could really follow up on and stuff it was just exactly what I needed at that time so me and Neil spent a, a week just solidly making class specific character sheets as that was like the biggest request that and making them kind of form billable pdfs as well and i thought well you know what it's easy enough to make a font i'll just make my handwriting into the font it'll it'll go with the sheets and stuff and and i mean like it was still at a time when i couldn't even really get out of bed most days but this i could <laughs> i could do from bed you know I, I i could draw character sheets and uh photoshop them and stuff all all from bed so like it, it was it was really the perfect thing to to get me going again. I didn't. I don't think I even had a Tumblr back then. This was now just a year ago. Um, 
we started at the beginning of February last year doing these character sheets and I didn't even have a Tumblr so there was uh, Niels put it on his Tumblr his RPG tunes and um, from there I think we were very lucky for it to go viral just within a few days it suddenly had 20,000 notes or something and just again so many words of encouragement and just like really positive feedback and we also had people like getting in touch really fast about like oh there's a little mistake here or you know a box doesn't work like it should on the pdf here and we were fixing them really fast and it was so great to just have people like come in and just like help us and yeah so like the the community today was not at all what I expected it to be given my sort of past experiences how um, amazing to have people <laughs> respond uh, yes to just a whim that you had um, absolutely so amazing absolutely yeah yeah it was it, yeah it was just so what I needed and uh and now we've been doing this exactly one year and it's still awesome and I still love doing this every day and I'm like oh why didn't I do this years ago like it's <laughs> it's fantastic so yeah thanks to the community if they weren't there doing that then I wouldn't be here doing this where do you get uh, your inspiration for the character sheets I know you mentioned that people will make requests uh, but when you sit down and start working on them uh, what goes through your brain I mean for the character sheets I suppose like originally it was just like oh I'm gonna just do it in a sort of acuter style just something I, I liked the sort of black and white aspect and I, yeah I don't know that there, there wasn't I mean, like, I suppose a little bit of the sort of bullet journal style almost can kind of influenced me at the beginning. Um, but uh, now we have sort of two graphic styles on the website. There's like a more minimal style. Um, and I made that just for some people. I imagined that they would enjoy something a little bit cleaner. But like throughout all of the character sheets, my main sort of goal is to make them look at least modern in some way, whether that's that they look a bit kind of cartoony or a little bit more stripped back. I like to just make sure that everything, uh, I well, yeah, that everything gets as far away from that sort of tra traditional fantasy style as possible. I just have some very negative connotations with the whole sort of graphic style of old fantasy stuff. And while it's got its own charm and there's still definitely a place for it in some things, I, to me, it just puts me off so much. In fact, there was someone that got in touch uh, a few months ago who said he'd been trying to get his girlfriend into D&D &D for years um, to no success and he recently bought these character sheets and when she saw them she immediately said okay you know what I'll give it a try and it was really? because yeah and I think it's because they just make like they put a different face on the same game mm -hmm. in a way that I think makes it more inclusive for people and that's really it it keeps me going more than anything else knowing that just the graphic style alone can introduce new people into the game because they just look at it in a different way and like oh that's so perfect like we need more people playing we always need more people that is really cool so you're putting like a new face on the game something that other people can relate to who might not traditionally yeah uh, go for an rpg yeah just make it look a little bit different and like i mean i think that sometimes having something look like it's come from lord of the rings or similar can can just immediately like pigeonhole it as if like oh this is boring nerd stuff or whatever and and like it's really not you know like <laughs> um but but sometimes i think that just like making something look a little different uh can get people to understand uh, the deeper value of what's behind that it. That is quite cool. Can you talk to me a little bit about the dice palettes that you do and how that came about? Yeah, okay. So um, the dice palettes are something that we currently sell in the shop um, that 
I, I suppose I would describe as like a, a curated dice set, um, usually around a theme. They come in their own little uh, dice bag that kind of comes with the, the name of the theme and some little sort of painty, painty swatches along the bottom as the design. And the reason I started selling these was actually a request again. We work a lot of requests because, yeah, I mean, if someone wants something and it's easy enough to do, I, I don't see what, why not really a lot of the time. And people have some really good ideas. But the dice palettes came from when we released these character sheets at first. I wanted to have some somewhere where people could go to just look at what we're up to because I mean these character sheets take a long time to make and it was a week of solid work where we were doing nothing else during that time um but like to to work like that continuously would just make us crazy so I had some downtime that I wanted to sort of make some blog content for and I'm obsessed with dice. I mean, like the the geometric shapes and all of the lovely colors and mm. textures, just they're so mesmerizing. <laughs> and that, like, I I was already just taking photos of my own dice collection and obsessively buying more. And so I just thought, yeah, I'm sure that if I love these, other people are also just going to enjoy uh, dice photos too. So I just started putting these on the blog, and I'd give them uh, some sort of theme name, and I, I really like making kind of color palettes out of dice much the same way that I'd done back when I was a fashion designer and we create color palettes for the collection and so that's why I called them dice palettes because they were kind of just color palettes made of dice but then um, requests started coming in pretty fast that were saying well yeah how can I get a dice palette for myself these are these are great Um, and so it took me a while to figure out the logistics because I didn't just want to you know, order a bunch of dice from China and just sell them on. I really wanted to make sure that the dice palettes I was creating for anyone that picked one up were something that maybe they wouldn't have been able to get anywhere else. And I really, I feel like I take quite a lot of steps to make sure I'm finding unusual dice all the time. Like I'm often going to game shops and digging through their like huge chests of dice, picking out ones that seem a little bit special or have some cool colors. Like I find a lot on eBay that are just even secondhand and I go through re-inking them. And uh, yeah, I, I want to make sure that people get something that's particularly special when they get a dice palette, but it's been awesome. And like, I, I'm now constantly making new ones. There's just um, a very large table in our studio here that is completely full of loads and loads of like arranged dice palettes that I'm constantly like fiddling with and when I have people over who have no idea even what these dice are they just kind of are attracted to this table and they all come and go oh my god what is all this we had a builder over the other day that was just baffled by the fact that this table was full of colorful shapes but even he was really into it by the end (laughs) oh that table sounds like heaven (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's pretty nice to look at (laughs) so earlier you talked a bit about how you got into gaming despite naysayers now that you are a like quote woman in gaming both as someone who enjoys the hobby quite Mm. a bit and someone who creates in it uh, what exactly does that Mm. mean to you Mm. I mean I think at the moment it's quite obvious that there's there's really like a turning point in the community I mean the fact that you even ask this question about being a woman in gaming means that there's something to talk about and I think that that's really good I, I think it's good that people are are discussing this whereas when I was a kid and everyone was being weird to me about being a girl wanting to play Warhammer uh, no one said hey just let her play or like what's your problem or anything like this whereas now I people do say that and uh, I think 
for me, this turning point is really key that we just have more and more people join us still. Like uh, the, the creators and players that are female are definitely prominent but not prominent enough in my opinion i still want people i want there to be more people uh because i think when you see when you see other women playing you realize that like it it, it's someone that you can relate to a little more and especially since it has been such a kind of boyish community you need to see that and really all i want to see is more and more and more and more people talking about their experiences and more people standing up for the fact that you know the negative experiences really aren't really aren't on yeah that uh we need to talk about those too do you have uh tips for other women who might be interested in getting into the game interested maybe in creating for the game on how they can do that uh, if Mm. they're not sure or um what they should do if someone's telling them this isn't a space for them i mean if anyone's telling them it isn't a space for them they are so wrong so 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 wrong but um uh (laughs) i mean it the only way that we can make this better is to have more of us and i i know it it's quite it's such a general piece of advice to say please just go for it but it, it really is that simple please like join us because there's lots of people who are amazing and kind in this community there's so much support and encouragement and i think part of that even comes from the nature of the game itself the fact that role playing within your friends it can sometimes be an experience that requires a little bravery and also requires all of your friends to be uh, uh, quite open-minded and accepting of that. I think that a lot of the community has really got into that spirit now. And in general, it is a very open community, or at least the D&D one is. I couldn't say for other role-playing games just because I don't, I'm not involved in them personally, so I don't have any experience there. But uh, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely places that are really losing any toxicity that they might have had. Um, but the only way to make this better is to have more of us so if there's anyone who is a woman thinking about getting into this just just do it already even if it's just contributing something so small like just just start up like a, a blog with just like a little bit of content you know you don't have to start off some huge business you, you don't have to start selling whatever you you don't have to enter it thinking that you will have a huge impact at all because it's actually each one of us joining together that is the huge impact um just joining in makes a big difference absolutely so much like even if it's you grab some dice the player's handbook and you go to your friendly local game store and join a game even if there are no other women playing you're going your presence there is going to make it easier and more welcoming for the next yeah i mean like given what i've read particularly about gaming stores i i suppose this is just from other people because I haven't really been to a gaming store uh, to, to play um, myself, but I've read a lot of experiences where someone will turn up just by themselves and uh, uh, it's not so easy. So if you were go- to go to a gaming store, bringing a friend would be good. And if you can't, then I would say look online for a group first, um, it, just if you're really looking to get into something, because I, I don't know, I've been a bit wary of the the stories I've heard about game shops so far um it's still not the easiest place compared to online so i do think that the the community is a bit easier when it comes to being on the internet there's actually um a discord group um that i can probably find the the details for you um uh that is just women uh looking for other women to play with uh in D &D. and uh it's really really nice and again as you'd expect it's a really lovely community 
So I would probably say start there. If you want to start a game and there's no one local to play with, start there before you go to a game shop. Just just to avoid what I've heard so far. <laughs> but um, yeah, obviously I hope it all changes in future. But at the moment, I, th I think the internet is fostering an easier community than the game shops. I think they're a bit behind. Or at least I've been very I've lucky. Like my local community, my local game store was very welcoming, but it's definitely it's a oh, that's so I nice. guess it's a culture that is shifting, and that's so cool to hear mm. that there's like mm. pockets uh, on the internet where people all over can coalesce uh, to create a welcoming community. So mm. um, offline, I'll definitely bug you uh, for information on that Discord, and we'll use the magic of editing to yes. add that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Um, are there other women uh, who inspire you in RPGs? Mm. So, I, I mean, when you ask this question, I think a couple immediately come to mind, but I'm not sure it's because they're women um, that they inspire me, but it's just because of what they're doing for the community and, and they happen to be women. But um, the first would be uh, Paula, who goes by Errol on most of the socials. And at the moment, she's uh, creating just some really cool graphics for D&D. She's doing uh, kind of graphic t-shirts and pins. Um, she, I think she recently just finished a Kickstarter doing um, class-specific pins. They were called the Class Classics. And uh, we did a collaboration where I made a dice palette for her based on the color palette of the pins, and she sent me a few pins in return. Um, and I don't know, it, like her stuff is so modern and striking, and I think that it, it just contributes in a really big way towards more modern styles in in. Uh, in D and D and RPG sort of areas, and I I do feel so strongly about just changing the aesthetic uh, to really get more people involved. So I think she's doing a, a really amazing job at that. Um, the other person that comes to mind is uh, someone uh, I found through Twitter called Misty Vanda, um, and she is just a really positive influence on Twitter um, in this kind of. D&D community and she also writes a really great blog um, where she does reviews uh, but also uh, has really candid stories um, of her own experience with being a woman in gaming and uh, she had a, a tough experience at a sort of gaming convention where they had a lot of tables where people were playing and uh, oh it's a tough read it's it's really upsetting but um yeah really candid and uh, I just think that she's a really good influence for the conversation that she makes, I suppose. So is there anything that I that you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked you about? Yeah, at the moment, uh, what, what we're working on perhaps um, is the next sort of big release for us is the um, our world building pack. Um, you mentioned before about like, you know, where, where do you get your inspiration for the character sheets? And I suppose I talked a little bit about the aesthetic of the character sheets. But the actual use of the character sheets and the use of all of the other downloadable products that we make, the inspiration from those obviously comes from us playing our own games. Um, the world building pack that we're doing at the moment is because I have gotten myself into a bit of a pickle <laughs> concerning the game that I'm running, where I I have decided to include time travel um which is always mm -hmm. ambitious to say the least and what this has resulted in is that um i have like a world map and i didn't really expect the players to decide to go and visit every single town on the map <laughs> i just put them there for flavor but well players what you never expect and so these guys have decided that they are going to visit every single place but because 
time keeps switching on them at random to two different timelines, I must create two towns for every one town they're visiting <laughs> because, because there's a town in the past and a town in the future mm -hmm. and they're obviously very different because they're very far apart in time. I, I've just I really shot myself in the foot and give myself a terrible amount of work. It's very fun, but to cut down on my work a little, I started making these pages that were like a town generator and a checklist that a town needs. So I can check things off and say, okay, this one's going to be a small town. I just need these things. Or um, the town generator just asks me questions like, what's the climate like? How do people get through here? Uh, do tourists come here? Who's the boss of the town? Uh, important figures, uh, things like this that just sort of like prompt me um, to figure out what's going on so that I can actually draw up a town quite quickly. Whereas before I was just looking at my world map thinking, oh my God, there's, oh God, I've got so much work to do. I don't even know where to start. And uh, so I started making these things just to help me get through that a bit quicker. And it's grown into this massive pack now, which we're still just working through and making all the graphics for. But um, I'm really excited to release that I think it'll probably be within the next month or so that it'll come out and uh, uh, I think it's going to be so helpful to people like I'm I'm really excited to to get that it out sounds super cool so is it like a pack like there's worksheets that you can kind yes. of like, go through and like tick through <gasps> Yes, uh, we've got worksheets uh, for things like building a religion from scratch or an organization, uh, a town, a city. Um, but there's also like a lot of uh, kind of fun and silly rolling tables. So there's one for like uh, figuring out the name of the town. Um, but there's also you can roll dice to make um, uh, names for an inn. Uh, or <laughs> uh, you can also roll dice for things like, uh, do you want this to be hilly or flat, farmland or lakes or whatever? And uh, uh, oh, there's, there's so many things. There's like people and customs guides if you really mm -hmm. want to get into the demographics of a place. Um, we've made like adventuring guides uh, so that you can fill in, hey, these places are dangerous. These kind of monsters are going to live in this area of land. Like as if David Attenborough wrote a book mm -hmm. on the world that you've made we've kind of made these sort of things so yeah i it, oh, it's, there's still a lot of work to be done but i'm i'm definitely really excited about that next that's going to be very useful mm, yeah i i hope so i'm i've been using half of it already so i find it really useful um i hope others do too yeah so if people want to uh, follow you to see what you're up to and keep track of mm. when that world building pack is coming out uh how yeah. can they follow you how can they find you Right. So I guess we're on most places like uh, I am uh, R-N-W on Tumblr, on Twitter and Instagram. Well, R&W was taken <laughs> before I got there. So I am underscore R underscore N underscore W underscore um, on both Twitter and Instagram, which I know is not the easiest name, but uh, there we go. Uh, there is also um, an email list, uh, which I can pass a link along to you uh, and those people get emailed before anyone else before any blog post goes up uh, if you're on the list you'll get an email to say when something new is well, Rose, and it's so cool that you're sort of changing the face of the game for people <laughs> and making it more welcoming and inclusive oh, well thank you but i like i'm also really excited that you're making this podcast to be honest i'm really excited to hear about other female creators in this space um, but thank you for doing that
Next, we're chatting with the inspiring and prolific Marissa Termaine, who, if you're part of the Dungeons & Dragons community on Twitter, you probably know best as at Mazmatas. Maz burst into D&D in 2017, knitting and crocheting their way through the Monster Manual. But there is so much more that Maz does. They're a Dungeon Master, Twitch streamer, published Dungeon Master's Guild writer, and a blogger sharing their experiences and tips learned along the way of doing all of the above. So Maz. Thanks, you make me sound really awesome. Um, you are really awesome. This could just be me blabbing on and on about how much you inspire me. <laughs> uh, but I'm actually realizing uh, that I don't think I've ever asked, uh, what is your D&D origin story? Oh, uh, I am super, super new to D&D. Um, I'd spent a lot of my time beforehand playing MMORPG, so I knew that sort of system of play originated from D&D. And... I was sort of like intrigued about it and my sister-in-law had played uh, 3.5 and she knew quite a bit about it and she was telling me lots of stories about her paladin when she used to play and how she missed playing and she didn't get to go anymore. So I thought, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play this game. And I ordered the starter set off of uh, Amazon, I think it was, uh, and then the player's handbook and just went from there. And my first session was absolutely dire it really was I hadn't read the rules properly Uh, I just made it up as I went along I was just like yeah let's do this I didn't know what a perception check was and but we I played it with my family we got through it we enjoyed it and then I started watching streams to learn more about the game and I think the first stream I saw was the stream of Annihilation dice camera action game and when I saw sort of Anna dressed up as Evelyn and Holly dressed up as Strix. I just sort of fell in love with the game and I was like, this is amazing. And I just devoured dice camera action. I learned so much from watching um, Chris Perkins. Uh, Anyone that knows me uh, a little more than just chatting to me on Twitter will know that he is literally my hero in D&D. But I'm really just, (laughs) I love it. I love this game. (laughs) And... I'm really passionate because um, it's helped me a lot with things in my personal life. So that's kind of, yeah, where I got, I got into, the, into the whole thing. So you've mentioned that D&D has been helpful in your personal life. And that's actually something I hear from a lot of people. Is that something you're open to sharing a little more about? Absolutely. Um, and I think it's where sort of me and you, I relate to you quite a lot on it as well. I uh, Part of why Chris is such a hero to me is that I was sort of DMing and watching DCA and learning things. And then I saw an interview with him about anxiety and things like that and how a lot of people suffer with it, how he struggles with it sometimes. And it really struck a chord because I, not so much now, I very rarely get it now because of D&D. I had, um, my anxiety was that I needed to control situations. Um, If I went out, I would have to plan every detail. I couldn't enjoy myself going out because I'd have to know when I was going to get a train or a bus home and make sure I caught that and didn't miss it. And I would just be sort of panicking the whole time about that sort of thing. So having being a dungeon master, you can't plan everything. You can't control what your players are going to do. Uh, You have to just go with the flow of the game and improvise. And it really taught my brain to calm down quite a lot and just chill out about having a grip on everything. It taught me that everything was going to be okay 
no matter what happened, you just sort of roll with the punches and it made me let go of a lot of things. So I know that you tend to be behind the Dungeon Master screen a lot. Uh, so my initial reaction was, oh, I wonder if the Dungeon Master actually gets a little bit more control. I wonder if that just helps channel that energy there. But then you completely surprised me. It's actually the opposite. I don't really plan my games. I know where they're going to go roughly. Uh, I ask my players beforehand what they want to do. But one of my groups, especially that I play with on a Tuesday, I'm actually going to play with them right after this interview. Um, they, I think all of them are chaotic neutral and they absolutely play to that. <laughs> it's, they... They just don't, they just split up into, they split the party all the time. Uh, they start running around cities. They do things like stealing quest givers hats and running off with them. <laughs> and uh, I just really have to just let this happen and then rein it in when necessary. So it is, I think I've not played much and I've only played a couple of games, but I've definitely enjoyed being the dungeon master side of the screen more. Do you have a favorite part about DMing? I know that uh, I personally find your NPCs to be very fun to interact with. I, I do love my NPCs. I love making up stupid voices. I'm probably not the best at voices. I've, I think I've got, I, I joke with my players that uh, this is dwarven accent number two <laughs> uh, because of how few voices I have in my repertoire. But I, I love to just like give them silly voices and roll with that. And I like to make not all the NPCs my players meet are helpful. I really like to give them prickly characters to come up against and that challenge them. So they've got an annoying voice and they like they won't do what the characters want them to do. Especially uh, if they steal their hat. That is that is exactly the one I'm thinking of right now <laughs> in my in my Tuesday game. They were doing their usual chaotic mess and the instead of I usually have sort of a bulletin board that they go and look at and I make it up in Photoshop and share it on Roll20 and they have a look and pick the quests off to give it a real sandbox feel to my game so they can feel like they're doing what they want to do but in this particular town I decided I was going to have an actual quest mm. giver so he had a top hat with an exclamation mark on it sort of echoing the sort of World of Warcraft type of quest collection from an NPC he shouted out the tasks that needed to be done for the day and who was offering the task um, and he had a really annoying voice he's, he's, he was Terry Terry the quester <laughs> and when they hear that voice now they my players just hate it and it's quite funny because in a recent game I did the voice and they were like is this Terry and they're like I'm not like no this is not Terry this is his twin brother Jerry <laughs> And they're like, no, it's Terry, though. Uh, no, it was actually Jerry. And Jerry hated Terry. So he bonded with the players. <laughs> That's awesome. So I just I just like doing crazy things like that. Or like, especially as you found out in my uh, Valentine's adventure, I like to take monstrous creatures and make them more human and put twists on the tropes. That's That's my favorite trope is the monster that's actually quite adorable, really, at heart. Do you have a favorite NBC you've done? Chris. Chris. <laughs> I love Chris, Chris, the mind flayer, who is a brain rehab. So you really threw yourself into DMing. Yeah, <laughs> very much. How many games are you doing right now? My list of campaigns is ridiculous. I think I counted it up yesterday, and 
if I count uh, text games into religion, I've just finished one. I've literally just finished one yesterday. So I currently have seven games running. That actually reminds me of something that I thought was really cool that you did when we were first getting to know each other, as you put the call out on Twitter for uh, D&D players or aspiring D&D players who struggle with anxiety, like other similar hurdles. Okay, so that's the text games that I was just talking about on my Discord server. Uh, I had had conversations with Twitter previously. Um, I'd put out calls for odd one-shots here and there, and people had got upset about the calls going out because they said they didn't feel comfortable approaching me to join in. And I said, but I'm inviting everybody. I, I don't know everybody. I'm fairly new to the community. I can't go out and give individual invite, invites to people. So, you know, if I'm asking for a one shot, you're more than welcome to come and join in. And they said they still didn't feel comfortable. So I had a th- went away and I thought about it. And I figured that a lot of people... What I see is a lot of people have, find voice chat quite a barrier as well. They're afraid to speak. Um, and also it, disclu- it excludes people who may have a hearing difficulty and can't join in on voice chat that way. So I thought, I'll make up a server. I'll try this out and see how this goes. Um, I ended up going with the play-by-post style. Uh, there are other play-by-post games out there, but no one was specifically calling out and saying... Let's get people who are anxious to talk onto these games. So that was how I went at it. And I clearly stated that it was going to be for people that were quite anxious. I put them into very small groups, groups of three. So they didn't feel overwhelmed that there were too many other people. Um, I laid out some clear rules that I hoped everyone would check in once a day and then make their posts Mm -hmm. if necessary. And for the most part, it went quite well. It's not a style that I have enjoyed. I find it very slow. Um, I think it might be good for people that are learning to DM, if they get someone that can sit with them in the server, perhaps, and help them make the decisions they need to make as the DM. Um, Because it gives that sort of style of play gives you more time to think about responses and um, how you want to go about your role play or what action you want to take in a combat. That's really cool. I feel like this is the sort of venture that other people might be interested in. Was there anything that came up that surprised you that you feel like others could learn from? It's something I tweeted about earlier. Um, Anxious people don't have to be fully involved in a game to enjoy a game. They can be sitting there perfectly quiet, letting things go along and then just dip in when it's their turn. I have players in my regular games that have that style and they love the games. They come to me after the session and they say that was a really great session, even if their character hasn't been involved much. A lot of people worry about getting um, quiet players to talk all the time and that's not necessarily what they want to do. I think, though, that if you are... um, an anxious player going into that sort of game just let your dm know that that's your style and that's how you want to do it also make sure that you are prepared to act when it is your turn say in combat or just to give your dm a signal to say that you're okay with what's going on you don't want to contribute anything because otherwise sometimes the dm can be a bit stuck and not knowing you know does your character want to do something now do i need to 
talk to you bring you into this situation or are you going to go along with the other characters so it's it's all about communication but it's you know knowing what people's boundaries are and what they want from a game as well so I'm just sitting here thinking about how you like just really just ran into DMing. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you think your experiences getting into the hobby, uh, have they been different due to um, your gender? Neither of us really falls into the historical demographic of D&D. No. And um, I don't think that's controversial. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, and I know this podcast is focused on women and it's only recently that I have decided to identify myself as non-binary, which is a whole other kettle of fish indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially coming into the hobby, I was coming into the hobby as um, a woman. Um, but when... I set out to gather my players together for my homebrew games. I did it on NLFG, I did it on Roll20, and I did find that they did assume I was male initially. Really? I did not specify my gender or give any clues to my gender at all until we got into the game on our first Discord session and I spoke, and then they found out I wasn't a male. Did they react? And that was that was surprising for them, but they just went they were fine about it because once they saw how I ran a session and how I was as a DM you know it didn't matter who was sitting in the chair it doesn't matter who's behind the screen as long as they've got um, a good game running and they're making sure everyone's enjoying themselves and my games do have a good mixture and I've always been proud of the mixture of uh, I do have other non-binary players Um, I have a roughly equal split of male to female outside of that as well. So I get I've got quite a good mix in um, all of my games, really. I've not had the experiences that it's been male dominated or they've only been sort of men at my table, even at my tabletop club. As I said, it's mothers bringing their children. So there's, you know, females as well as males coming to sit down and play. And I've been really, really lucky. In that that's my my experience with D&D. It's been very um, equal. Did D&D have any sort of bearing on your, like, figuring out your own identity and feeling comfortable also sharing that with other people? I think the people that it brought me into contact with did. It was something I was starting to figure out before I had D&D, and I wasn't really sure where I was going with it or I didn't know as much about it. I mean, like... I'm in my, you know, mid to late 30s now. I'm getting on a bit. I I haven't got this stuff figured out because I just didn't know about it until now. Um, but coming into the D&D community and seeing all the different people uh, that it's bringing together and getting to know um, people that do identify as non-binary being uh, quite present, I think the first person that I really saw... Um, although I don't follow the show, is there's someone on Shield of Tomorrow who's openly non-binary? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Sam mm-hmm. Tchaikovsky is their Twitter handle, and I was I that sort of really opened my eyes and made me think. Hang on, this is the avenue I've not explored. I've not heard about it before, and so yeah, the people that it brought me into contact with definitely helped with that. I am just hearing that feeling really emotional 
and also overjoyed that uh, despite people saying that this hobby is very like white male dominated, that you've experienced a lot of diversity, actually, uh, growing and loud diversity in the hobby and that that made a personal impact for you. Yeah, and I am always um, standing up and shouting out about diversity all the time. It's really important. Um, even recently, I was speaking to someone else who identifies as trans, and it sort of made me think, although they also identify as trans and I do, our experiences are very different, even though we can be seen to be coming from a similar place. So our voices should both be heard and not mm -hmm. just one. And it's everybody is coming from a different place. Everybody has different experience. Even if you are what people are saying is the typical hetero, cis, white, male player, they could still have different experiences to each other. But And it's only by getting representation from every walk of life and as many people into the game and on panels and on streams as possible that we can really show this community to be diverse. That's my story about you, Lisa. And I, I've told you this before, but it does mean a lot to me that we are friends now. Because when I was first getting into D&D &D, and I was new to it and I was really scared because I thought you need to know loads of lore and you need to know everything about it and oh, you know, how can you ever make an impact in this this hobby? It's been going for so many years. And I saw your interview on Dragon Talk where you talked about how you got into D&D &D and now you were working in Adventurers League and becoming a guild adept for the first time. And it just, I, I just thought I could do this, you know? There's someone that's also fairly new to the hobby and they are making a big impact and I could be this person too. And that's sort of like, yeah, that's what you were for me as in as far as like representation goes. I really identified with that. First of all, you absolutely are that person. But secondly, also, you're kind of making me cry. And the rest of this podcast is going to just be us vocally hugging. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I um, that means a lot to me. Thank you. So, uh, Maz, uh, if people want to find you. Uh, and learn more about you and all the different things that you do, where can they find you? Don't come anywhere. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm most well known on Twitter at Mazmataz, M-A-Z-Z, M-A-T-A-Z-Z. Um, I've got a pinned tweet there with loads of links where you can find uh, I'm Mazmataz everywhere. Spelt the same everywhere. If you find it, it's probably me, unless it's someone pretending to me, be me, and then they're probably not as cool as me, so ignore that. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm on Twitch uh, as Mesmataz, where I'm doing my regular streams uh, Monday nights, uh, Stitch and Twitch, uh, at the moment creating the Strix doll. But I'll be moving on to other projects soon. I'm going to be picking up my uh, DM blog that's on my website, mesmataz.co.uk slash TYP, the yarning portal. Another one of my puns that I'm well known for. Uh, I've yeah, thank you. Uh, I mostly put um, updates on what I'm doing and uh, new DM tips, how to set up sessions, how to run things, how to create NPCs. I'm going to branch out. It seems that my cooking's got quite popular, so I might put some cooking blog bits in there as well with like, a flump recipe. I forget if I mentioned the flumps. The flump macaroni. You did not mention the flump. You did not mention the flumps. The flumps. I'm still eating reject flumps. If you want a knitted or crocheted version of your original D&D character, Maz is taking commissions, so definitely give them a nudge at Mazmataz. 
T.K. Johnson writes spooky stories on the internet and prefers cinnamon, though they will begrudgingly accept spearmint as payment in their gladiatorial death matches. They are not dangerous. They love you. They're just hungry. Please unlock the window. Please. Their story, Panic in the Pulpit, and My Renewed Love for D&D, is read to us today by Noelle Shiri of the podcast Dames and Dragons. Y'all ever been to a Harry Potter book burning? This is typically the first thing I tell people when they ask about my hometown and experiences with Dungeons and Dragons, and while it would be untrue to claim that I'd seen that book burning in person, the legacy of my hometown's fear and hatred for anything different easily adds a degree of potency to the hyperbole. I was a weird, racially ambiguous brown kid planted square on the brightly burnished buckle of the Bible Belt in a time when national acceptance of interracial marriage was still below 50%. What could I have expected in adding wizards and gnomes to the mix? I should start at the beginning. My dad is a black nerd. Now, don't let that scare you away. This story is still about dragons, but it's important to know that my father is a black nerd who spent much of his youth in the Deep South during the Helter Skelter 60s and 70s, who was obsessed with science fiction and fantasy, who joined the military like his father before him, and who met and married a white nerd. Together, they raised five kids in rural Kentucky, where he was stationed. In that house, I learned to read using a book called The Fiend Folio, published in the early 80s, and supplemented the burgeoning seed of my fascination with deities and demigods, oriental adventures, and both monster manuals. I don't think I need to tell you how those books with weathered spines and well-worn pages felt beneath my fingertips. The freedom that I found in the fading letters printed on wrinkling paper. The illustrations were fascinating, but not nearly so much as the spells and weapons and the promise of growing strong enough with each new adventure to defeat whichever monsters lurked eagerly in the shadows to swallow you up. At that age, everything wanted to eat me. I devoured the world of the Forgotten Realms, breathed it in and basked in it. For every twisted fistful of my curly hair, I came home to heroes offering to take up swords for me. For every angry tug on my beaded braids or bright red mark on my brown skin, the villains gleefully promised vengeance in between venomous jabs at my cowardly foes. If school grew unbearable, I could vanish between the covers, sink into my fortress in the mountains of Faerun, and build my spell-scarred parapets high into the sky. In my room, with my manuals and supplemental guides, with my sisters and parents and our many adventures, I was untouchable. Well, until 1996. Those who grew up in southern Kentucky remember Thanksgiving of 1996 and the resurgence of satanic panic in the region as the public, unaware of the differences between Vampire the Masquerade and Dungeons and Dragons, desperately sought for something upon which to pin the blame for a tragic murder. The Tolkien-inspired fantasy game proved much more accessible and, thus, easier to condemn. While the country acknowledged the obsession with vampirism that the killers shared, my hometown began to dump the infamous anti-D&D chick tracks back into circulation, and I remember coming home with copies many times. It was on every tongue, scrawled in every Bible, beating in the blood and on the brow of every true believer. Dungeons and Dragons was the devil's work. 
This call to divine justice echoed through puberty, followed me in wisps and whispers into the library where I tried to sneak away to theorize party relations in Planescape Torment, and on my adventures avoiding the protesters to watch a live-action adaption of the franchise that many argue was terrible enough to be worthy of a boycott. It snapped at my heels well into my high school years, when I would sneak underneath stairwells to marvel at the glossy pages of the Draconomicon, with a proudly atheist acquaintance who could not be intimidated into not bringing his loot to school, and pretend afterwards that I didn't have plans to put off practicing the baritone saxophone in favor of losing myself in Neverwinter Nights. It would keep me awake with averted gazes and hasty retreats, with mothers who were all very concerned about the state of my home life, with canceled sleepovers, Bible verses in my locker, and an overwhelming number of invitations to church, but not birthday parties. All the while, I longed for the days that breathlessly admitting you liked something as inoffensive as Harry Potter or Pokemon in hushed whispers would be forgotten, and the fear of Dungeons and Dragons with them. Everyone knew interests in Hogwarts or pocket monsters bred violence and disregard for authority, but being a Satanist was much, much worse. Suddenly, I was 19, drubbing up the courage to walk away from a youth prayer party in a deserted cornfield, where they'd piled plywood pallets, cedar chips, and cardboard boxes. Kids each brought a book of theirs, something they desperately needed to be rid of to lift the weight of sin from their chests. I was 19 when I decided that I would not feel the sting of prying eyes and needle-sharp pointed fingers, or the chill of callous questions on my own doorstep as to whether my father was truly a Christian, and how could he be if he raised me to be this. I was 19 when I chose to cast the weight of others' expectations off of my chest. It was well over seven miles to my house, and back then, every step was light as a feather. Years later, I'd be sitting with my sister in a dorm lobby at 21, glaring out the window as the dungeon master tried to explain, painful and precise, through clenched teeth, that we were only probationary members and we shouldn't expect special treatment. No fairy princesses, no unicorn mounts, no African queens or Lord of the Rings bullshit. He made it clear he'd be watching us closely, but that was fine, right? Playing a game I loved was okay, even if it was with people I hated. Two sessions, and we weren't invited back. Then I'd be clenching my fists under the table at 23, as my sister struggled to keep control of a game of contrarians who would rules lawyer and second-guess her every proclamation, arguing for hours until she finally gave up for good. One session, and we never played together again. Nearly two years ago, YouTube would suggest a playthrough of Baldur's Gate by a cosplayer I admired and her friend. Though unfinished, it would lead me to a live-streamed show of four entertainers on a quest. I tentatively stepped back into a house that I barely recognized. The fans welcomed me home, as though this were the way it had been all along. Last December, I played Dungeons & Dragons for the first time in seven years with a group of four extraordinary storytellers and artists. I don't think I need to tell you how joy swelled like the sun in my chest, how I wept like a child when I crawled into bed in the wee hours of the morning. 
I run home games now with my own stories as fuel, whenever and however I want. I shape the world with my words. My sister runs her own games down south, and my parents, now proud grandparents of more weird, racially ambiguous brown kids, run a guild together on the MMORPG Neverwinter. They still have Fiend Folio on their bookcase, and when you open it, you'll see T. Johnson scribbled on the inside cover. I still have no clue who that is. Eleven years is an awfully long road home. Eleven years, and I finally feel that light again. Welcome home, TK. If you want to see and hear more of TK, catch them playing on the WebDM Twitch channel launching later this March. Thank you, Noelle, TK, Marissa, Rose, and Danny for your time, your thoughts, your words in this very first episode of Behold Her. This podcast will be back in April with three generations of organizers for official play events. These women and young women make fun happen, and I can't wait to share their stories. And I would love to share your story. Go to beholdherpodcast.com to suggest a guest or submit your own audio story, essay, or memoir to be shared on a future episode. Until then, see you next month.